0: Do you mind standing with me in honor of God's word? <clears throat> We're going to come back to the 10-year anniversary at the end of this. Cert. Whoa. Um, this is the last message in the series on After God's Heart, and it's called Finding Strength in God. Here's our text, 1 Samuel 30. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it, and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, your eyes are searching for those that are after your own heart. Those who are truly set to seek you, to please you, to, to watch for you. Would you find us today, God? Would you motivate us? Would you cleanse us And would you teach us how to find our strength in you? God, we need you today. Do something amazing in our midst, I pray. Let every every single one, here, live, and online, meet with you today. Holy Spirit, only you can do this. Would you please come? This is the day that you would pour out your spirit. We live in that time. Pour out your spirit, Father. Set us apart in Jesus, we pray, for your glory, for our good, and for the good of this world that, that desperately needs you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. After God's heart, finding strength in God. Number one, recognize your need for God in times of trouble. So it's very interesting in our text. David and his men had had been out. They come back and... They find Ziklag, where where they were staying, that was their city, had been burned and plundered, and all their wives, all their children, all their stuff, it's all gone. They are all bankrupt. They've all lost their relationships. They've lost everything that was most precious to them. A trial came to them that was none of their fault. It just happened. But it's interesting to see the two responses to this trial that they had no control over. It just happened. It happened to everyone, but there are different responses to the trial. David's men become bitter and they start blaming, looking for somebody to put the blame on. And David finds strength in God. Folks, have we ever been in a time like this in this country? I mean, maybe world wars, but not in my lifetime. The whole world is in the same trial. And it sounds to me like these next two months are going to be really difficult. We're all in the same trial. We didn't have control over this happening, did we? This just happened. No one decided for this. It just happened. So the only decision we have is how we're going to respond to it. And I think everyone understands bitterness and blame, it's very human. I'm inconvenienced, I'm uncomfortable, many things are happening, not just to me, but to people that I love, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm angry about it, I'm frustrated about it, and I want to find somebody to blame for all of this. Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. I want to submit to you that God is the author of trouble. Oh, I know it's usually the devil doing it. devil came to kill, steal and destroy it. Make no mistake about it. The devil is on God's leash. What the devil does to tempt, God allows to test. Let me give you the purpose of trouble. To find God. Why has God ordained trouble? So that we find Him. So that we find His presence. So that we find His help. So that we get to know Him. So that we become aware of the delusion of our own control, our own pride, our own everything. And we find God. It's not plan A. Psalm 32, verse 9. First, God says, I want to direct you with my eye upon you. I want you to be responsive just to me looking at you. I want you just like a, a, a parent only has to look at that child that's sensitive and don't do that anymore, and they just stop. That's, God's, that's plan A, but here's plan B. Don't be like the horse and the mule will not, that will not draw near to you without a bit and a bridle. We don't choose plan A, you're going to end up getting plan B, the bit and the bridle. That's what we're in right now, all over the world. Why? Because God's mean? No, because God loves us so much. This is why we were created. This is why Jesus died. This is why we were redeemed, to know God, to draw near to God, to be with God. And when we're not doing that, God will take measures to realign us with himself this is the worst trial of david's life the worst the worst trial is not saul becoming demon possessed and getting all of israel against him and rumors about him and 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 and, and now they're all chasing him down and it, guys, it's, a, it's certainly a trial to have enemies that are against you. But how many know it goes to a whole nother level when it's your friends? <laughs> this is his loyal friends. This is the ones that have left all to follow him. This is the one that he's been living with, and lead. these are his best friends. And now he's lost his wife, he's lost his children, he's lost his income. His, whatever resources they have, they're all gone. But also the closest relationships to him, those people want to stone him. Or they're talking about stoning him. This is a very, very dark time this is following years of David being in the wilderness and he's got this anointing and he kills Goliath and he's supposed to be the next king and and everything is going the wrong way and he's been in the wilderness for all this time and now it's the absolute worst trial now here's what he doesn't know it's the last trial trial Literally, while this is happening, Saul is, being, is, is dying somewhere else, and within a week, David's going to become the next king. But he doesn't know that. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. The proper time there, we've talked about this many times, is the word kairos. It's God's time for things. It's God's release. It's God's breakthrough. It's, It's the harvest that you've been waiting for. It's the answer to prayer. It is the promotion. It is the breakthrough. There is a kairos for you and for me and for this church. But there is a tremendous danger. Because it's really wearying waiting for the kairos. It's exhausting. And here I'm supposed to keep doing good. Keep loving people. Keep forgiving people. Keep keep giving to uh, to people. Keep keep supporting the church. Keep keep praying. Coming to prayer meeting. Keep keep having a quiet time. And 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 God, I'm doing all this. And what are you doing? Things are getting worse, not better. Yep. It's called a test. It's hard. Listen, folks. If we will not give up, but we will persevere, yeah. we will see God's kairos. We will see the breakthrough. We will see the revival. We will see the awakening. You will see the blessing of God in your family, in your finances, in your life. You will see that partner that you've been praying for. You will see that healing that you've been waiting for. You, you, There is a breakthrough coming. But you have to not give up. David can become bitter. David, God doesn't make anybody do anything. He doesn't have to find strength in God. He can become bitter like his men. Are you kidding me? They're blaming him? David can turn around and say, well, you disloyal jerks. Guess what, boys? I lost my wife's and kids too. Guess what? I was I didn't orchestrate this. This just happened. David chooses not to go dark. He chooses one more time to find strength in God. He chooses one more time. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up on God. I'm not giving up on my promises. I'm going to persevere. What are you going to do? I think it's amazing that we can actually see there's a light at the end of the tunnel with this thing. There is a vaccine. It's coming. I'm not waiting for the vaccine to have joy. I'm going in right now. I'm not waiting for the vaccine to be fear-free. I'm, I'm going fear-free right now. Still carry this mask around. Try to do the social distancing thing as best I can. Because we need to persevere. We need to persevere. Don't give in to the self-pity now. Don't give in to the cynicism now. Don't give in to blame and bitterness now. Choose to persevere. If we do not grow weary in well-doing, we will reap at the proper time. Point two, how to find strength in God. You know what, guys? I forgot to bring my cup of water up here. Could I get one of the, our ushers to just... Yeah, thank you, Roger. That, that's so great. I know that congregation would choose for me to not have that cup of water because it means the sermon's going to be longer if I get refreshed. (laughs) Point two, how to find strength in God. Psalm 131, 1 and 2, look at this. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I've calmed and quieted myself. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child, I am content. The beginning of finding strength in God is quieting yourself. There are many loud voices today. And you pick up those voices and pretty soon you become the judge and savior of everybody. I know what's wrong with everybody and I know what everybody should do to make it right. It's just pride. It's just arrogance. I know what's wrong with my wife. And if she would just do this, I know what's wrong with my kids. I know what's wrong with my parents. I know what's wrong with this church. I know what's wrong with the pastor. And I don't just know what's wrong. I'm not just judge. I'm also savior. This is what they need to do. They should be doing this. They should be doing that. Guess what? I also know what's wrong with the country. I know what's going on in this country. I see clearly, this is what's going on in the country. This is what we should be doing. And we get, we get all worked up and we've got all of this activity and we forget that we aren't the judge or the savior. Those are just strong opinions based on pride. Whenever the, our whole thing is about what everybody else should be doing, it's usually pride. And it's okay, because it happens to all of us. We all have it. We, these voices are all around us. They're on the news. They're on the internet. They're in the workroom. They're on Facebook. They are in our family gatherings. Strong opinions of judgment. Strong opinions of what we should be doing, what everybody should be doing, from everything to the government, to the Packers, to my spouse. This is what's wrong. This is what we should be doing. da 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 And David said, I had to still, I had to quiet my own pride. I had to choose humility and become like a weaned child on its mother's lap. The picture here is being content in God's presence without having to have all the answers. I don't have to understand everything. I don't have to have a judgment about everything to enjoy God, to be with God. I've stilled and quieted my soul. Well, Pastor Tom, that's not going to change the world. Oh, guess what? Just a few verses later, Psalm 46, verse 10, verse 1 says God's an ever-present help in the time of trouble. Now, in verse 10, he gives the solution of how you... Respond to that. It says this. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Be still. One translation says cease striving. Cease trying to make everything right yourself. And instead, know me. And the word is yada. It is the word for intimacy. Cease your striving and yada draw near. And that will be the most powerful place. I will, from that place, be exalted in the earth. I'll be exalted in your family. I'll be exalted in the nation. I will be exalted in relationships. I will be exalted in all these other things. Take, stop trying to solve it yourself. Stop trying to judge it yourself. And cease your striving. And cease trying to get everything right. And know me. Isaiah 30, 15, in quietness and in confidence is your strength. It's exactly opposite of the world's strength. The world's strength is in activity and judgments and activism. And and God says, I'm calling you to just the opposite. So, to find strength in God, first you've got to quiet all of the other voices. And then second, you've got to draw near. David made a personal choice, not just then. He had already made the choice. He had made it years earlier. God had said, seek my face. Right in the middle of your problems, right in the middle of the army around you, seek my face. And David said, your face, oh God, I will seek. And then he gives us the rule of his life. One thing have I desired, and that will I seek after. That I might dwell in your presence. This is, this is what I'm going to give my life to. Drawing near to God. So this is one of those. It's not quoted directly, but it's referenced in the New Testament. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. If we could just look at that. Now, as they were traveling along, he, Jesus, entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was also seated at the Lord's feet and was listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do the serving by myself? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. But only one thing. This is a reference to Psalm 27, verse 4. There's only one thing necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part which will not be taken from her. I want to I I give you three things about this, about the one thing. First, it's the good part. The NIV translated, Mary has chosen what's best. Bad translation. The N-A-S, that's why we're using the N-A-S here. It's, it, the, the, word, the Greek word means part, as in part of a whole. The implication is, Mary has chosen the good part. The implication is, Martha has the bad part. There's a good part. And it's the best version of you. It's the best version of you when you choose the good part. The good good part is when you learn to live sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him, beholding him, living in his presence daily, and having him be the one that defines you instead of other people. Have you ever wondered why Martha doesn't ask Mary to help? Because she knows she's not going to get through to Mary. Mary, Mary isn't living for Martha anymore. Mary is all about Jesus. The only way Mary is going to do something is if Jesus tells her to do it. Her definition of herself comes from God, not from people. Martha's disappointed with her. Martha wants her to be helping. Martha can't see, think of any reason why Mary shouldn't be helping. But Mary is unmoved by the expectations and opinions of people. She's chosen the one thing. And it's the good part. The good part. It's the best version of you. It's not the only version of you. Most people in the world... are a bad version of themselves. Most people in the church are a bad version of themselves. Why? They're distracted. They're about, all about all the preparations and all they're their worried and bothered about so many things and there's one thing necessary and they'll do everything else except that one thing. And so you're still a version of yourself. Martha still loves God and she still serves Jesus and she still goes to church. She's just a bad version of herself. She's a burned out version of who she could be. Because she allowed herself to be distracted from the main event. So that's the first thing. There's a good part. This is the best version of you. You were created to be filled with his spirit. You were created to live at his feet. You were created to be defined only by God, not by other people. Here's the cool thing about that. If other people don't define you, then if they reject you, they don't take away who you are. <laughs> if they're disappointed with you, all of a sudden you're not a failure because you weren't living for them anyway. Then he says this. Mary has, well, before he says good Bart, he says Mary has chosen this. This is, this is a tough one. People that are Martha think they're our victim. Oh, I'd love to be married. I would love to be able to just sit around, but somebody's got to get all this work done. Oh, I'd love, it's so easy as a pastor. You just, you've got all the time in the world. You could just, you only work one day a week. (laughs) You could just sit around at Jesus' feet all the time. And I wish I could do that, but some of us have jobs. Some of us have to change diapers. Some of us, life is happening all around us. And Jesus cuts through it all and says, listen, Martha, listen. I know you think you're the all-important, keeping the wheels spinning of everything and everybody. Listen. What Mary has, she chose. What he's saying is, Martha, you've got a choice. David had what he chose. He chose it. One thing have I desired, and I'm going to seek it. My heart has heard you say, seek my face. Listen. Listen to your heart. What is God saying to you in this season? I know what you're saying to him. Get me out of this. When is it going to end? And then a lot of advice of what he should be doing in our country. But what's he saying to you? Here's what he's saying. Seek my face. This is your greatest hour. Come higher. Come higher than the politics. Come higher than COVID. Come higher than your fears. And seek my face. And David says this, your face, oh God, I'm going to seek. In fact, I'm going to make my life around this. I'm going to make my whole life around this. It's called the good part. But you got to choose it. You've got a choice to make. No one else can choose it for you. <laughs> it can't be your husband or wife that chooses it. It can't be grandma that chooses It, it certainly can't be the pastor that chooses it. You have to choose it. You have to say, this is going to be my definition of me. I'm choosing the good part. There is a good part, and I'm choosing it. Now, if you choose it, I want to help you. I want to help you choose this in the most practical way. So the last three books, the last three weeks, I've, we've the elders provided these books out there. It's, it's a book I wrote called One Thing. It's, and then the, the underline is Daily Devotions to Inspire Intimacy with God. I started doing these weekly devotions back in 2008 and last year on the, my sabbatical, I put them together in 365 days. Honestly, every secret I have is in there. Every miracle I've experienced is in there. Every thought I've had is in there. I want to help you choose the good part. The the good part is marked by the ease of heaven, by the easy yoke and the light burden. It is marked by... By the joy of the Lord. It, it is marked by you and Jesus together instead of just you. So I've, got, I've got, I got 12 years in there of everything I have. And here's how it works. It's so easy. You get one of these. Now we're out of them out there. You can still buy them online. Just go to Amazon.com. One thing, Tom Flaherty. You can buy it for $9.99. But there's another way to get it that's free. All you have to do is go to this website. Len Lindsay made a website way back in 2008. And he saved them all. And when, when I wrote the book, he made a new website that's got them all by day. And literally, the website will send you, he, they will email you the devotion for the day, every day. I'm going to give you the website. OneThingDailyDevotions.com OneThingDailyDevotions.com Now let me tell you the power in this book. It's not just the teaching that you're going to get and the miracles you're going to hear and and how I've learned to walk with God. That's that's good, but, but it's more than that. The secret is doing it every day. The secret is building this into your life. Well, every day I'm choosing it. If you don't choose the one thing, you will not have it. If you think that somehow you're going to do the one thing when, when life allows you to, you will never have it. You will always, it will always be, God will always get leftovers. You've got to make this the first thing. You've got to choose this. And so I, I want to encourage you to get it, whether online or, or by it, I want us to go, to go through it together. I go through it every, every day. I, I use it. Lots of our staff is doing it now. Lots of people online are doing it. You can email me questions that you have from that devotion today. But I want you to choose it. This is whatever age you are. If you're in middle school, choose this. You can do this devotion. It takes about two minutes to read it. God wants to set something in our lives, folks. He wants to set this one thing in our life. And as your pastor, if this is your church, I want to help you. Let me help you. This is not rocket science. This is a Savior who loves us, who died on the cross, became our high priest, and now we just need to draw near with confidence. But we actually have to do that. We have to draw near. And we can't just draw near when we're in the mood. Or, or, you're, or you're not going to live there. You're just going to visit there. And you're always going to be in need of a miracle. And coming to church desperate. Build the one thing in your life and you bring that to church with you. you church strengthens the one thing. But you have to choose this. And if you do, this is what Jesus said. Mary has chosen the good part, and it will not be taken from her. God, not only will God not take it from you, he'll defend you. He himself defends Mary to Martha. Other people will criticize you when you choose the one thing, because they can't manipulate you anymore. They can't control you anymore. They can't can't guilt you anymore. You just do what you feel like God is telling you to do, and everybody else has to deal with it. And so what will happen? First they'll be frustrated, and then they'll be like, what do they have that I don't have? And then Jesus will talk to them about their own life. Jesus will vindicate it. One of the reasons why I think David's men were mad at him is because they've just lost everything, and instead of rallying the troops to go after them, David says, I need to go in the tent and pray. And they're like, are you kidding me? This is how far God's brought us, and you're going to go pray right now? And they're talking about stoning him. And David's like, "Mm, sorry. But you know that God vindicated David? David goes into the tent and says, God, what should we do? And God says, go after him. I'm going to give you everything back. They go after him. They go after. They get everything back. All the wives, all the children. God had sovereignly protected them. All the stuff. it, It ended up being their greatest victory ever. God vindicates the one thing. He vindicates it. He will be your defense. He will defend you. If you will choose this, God himself will be your defense. And you will be vindicated. This is the best version of you. It's not the one other people like the most. But it's the best version of you. The one thing. All right, let's, let's, let's bring this to a close, should we? Point three, last point. David's invitation to all of Israel. First Chronicles 13, 1 through 3. David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our people throughout the territories of Israel. And also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their towns and pasture lands to come and join us. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The ark was where the manifest presence of God dwelt on earth. Today, the manifest presence of God dwells in in the person of Jesus. But the ark is kind of like a type that that points to this open presence we have now through the blood of Jesus. But that's where the manifestation of God's presence was. And this is David's inaugural speech. This is the first time he's king over both Judah and Israel, and they're all waiting for his speech. What are we going to do? What, what is the purpose? Where are we heading as a nation? And David gives one thing in the speech, and it turns out it's the one thing that he had chosen privately. But now it's bigger than just him. He gets everybody together. He gets the commanders and the leaders and the people from every tribe, and he brings them together. And he says, what I want to do now, I can't do. We need to do it. Let's together choose the presence of God. Let's together make a place for the presence of God. That's the plan. So, December 5th, 2010, it's the first service of City Church. I'm the the new pastor. Title of the message A Place for His Presence. The text, 1 Chronicles 13, 1 through 3. In that message, I went back over it this week. In that message, I told the story of the dream that I had in the fall of 2009. Many of you have heard it, but I'm telling it again. It'll be a short version, don't worry. <laughs> in this, the dream begins, I'm fighting. I'm, I'm, I've got a, a, a responsibility to build the tabernacle. And, um, but somebody has stolen the tabernacle, and I'm in a fight to get it back. And I'm fighting this guy who's faceless. And it's, 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 a, it's just a, a grueling, brutal fight. There are no rules in this fight. Kicking, scratching. It just, it's, just, it's just an all-out fight. No rules. And what I remember is I'm absolutely exhausted. I, I, just, I, I, I think I'm going to lose. And then he comes in, and I elbow him in the head, and he goes down he's down, but I know he's not going to be down for long. So I quickly look and I find the suitcase that he has the ark in. That's scene one. Scene two. I've got the tabernacle set up. I don't know how it fit in that suitcase, but it's on this pallet. We're right on the side of a a sea, and it's on this pallet, and the the tabernacle is massive, and it's ready to be picked up, but there is one problem. The ark isn't in it. The the reason the tabernacle is built was for the ark. The the, the, the tabernacle is all... Out of the, nothing even makes sense without the ark, but the ark is gone, and so i 'm looking i 'm frantically looking for the ark and i'm I, I remember checking in his backpack for the ark, and i don 't know where if the tabernacle can fit in a suitcase, the ark could fit in a backpack anyway um, I, I but but I know he 's going to wake up and I'm exhausted. i 'm exhausted I just i can 't fight him again, so I get this idea maybe they will pick up the tabernacle without the ark. And I go down to the seashore, and there's a phone there, and I call to the ship that's coming, and I said, will you pick it up without the ark? And they said, yes, we will. And I hang up, and here's how the dream ends. It's with a thought. He, speaking of the enemy, never would have guessed that we would leave without the ark. And I wake up. I did not know what this dream meant. My poor, the poor staff at Mad City Church, because I had many ideas of what it might mean. Turned out they were all wrong. But on the strength of this dream, I took my family down to one thing. It was it was it, there were it was a, awakening services that year. It was the middle of a revival. It was the end of two thousand nine. Four straight days of being in God's presence for six hours a night, just. Just God, I I want your presence. I I I want to find your presence. I I need to have your presence. I I choose your presence again and again and again. January 1st, 2010, I wake up and I immediately know what the dream is. Dream isn't about isn't about Mad City Church. It's not about America. It's not about any of that. It's about me. I had learned in the the months leading up to this something about the presence of God. Did you notice that it says that David said, we didn't seek for the ark in the days of Saul? Do you know why they didn't? God never told them to. Why wouldn't God tell them to? Because here's what I learned. God's presence, his immediate presence, is so precious to him that he will not make you. You will will not be told you have to do this. You're You're only invited this is why he told Moses you can have the promised land without my presence. I will send my angel. You will be blessed. The, the, the blessings will flow. The milk and the honey. You will have it. You'll all have a place of your own. It'll be comfortable. It'll be nice. And, and God said but I'm, I myself am not going. And Moses said listen. I'm not going if you don't. What else do we have except your presence? If I have found favor with you, God, show me your glory. Why would God offer it? Listen, if you can live your life without God's presence, you will. If your church can exist without God's manifest presence, it will. And God will bless it as much as he can. But he's not going to make you choose the best part. He himself is the best part. So here's what happened. January 1st, I realized, oh my. (laughs) For me to live my life without the ark or to lead a church without the ark, the, the only reason I'm even interested in this thing is for the ark. I was never interested in having buildings and running ministries and having programs. That's that's all added. What I get out of this is having God in our midst. Having God do things in our midst that only God could do. To see those touches. I live for those touches of heaven. (laughs) We were at Red Robin. I was meeting with another pastor. This just happened like two weeks ago. And uh I was very touched by our, our waitress and she's just serving food and there was just something sad about her. And I just said, you know, we're we're both pastors and we're gonna pray for our food in just a minute. Is there anything we can pray for? And she told us a little about her life, and she she's got two young kids and one of them's in virtual learning and not doing well and and I said, I said, you know what? And we're gonna pray for that when we have our when we, before we before we eat it. Would you mind if I just prayed for you right now? And I just I just I just lifted a hand, I prayed a very, very short prayer that God would touch her and let her know that He loves her. We look up and she's got tears coming down her cheeks. And she says, I'm so sorry that I'm so emotional. I said, no. No, God loves you. She, she goes, and the, the, my pastor friend, and I'm, I'm, forgive me for being crude, but this is what he said. He said, for all the crap we have to go through, <laughs> this is why we do it. This makes everything else worth it. God coming and doing today in our midst something that only He could do. That's what I signed up for. But what had happened when I came to Madison and I, I felt like there was, a di- there was a division and another church started and so now we had this competition between the two churches and so we had to now have a youth group and we had to have a young adult group and, and because those things had left to go to the other church and, and, and I got into this competitive spirit and I was youth pastor, pastor, I was, had, and I was running here, 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 and here and I was just exhausted. I was just worn out. By ministry. And the Lord used that dream to say, Tom, this, this could be the rest of your life. If this is what you choose, if you're going to choose ministry over me, this is going to be your life. And I just, I was on a mission. No. No. I'm coming back to what I signed up for. I'm coming back to the one thing. And if this church, when this church got started, this was all it was about, the one thing. If you don't want the one thing, if this isn't your choice, this is not the church you should be going to. Because this is the calling of this church. We are called to go up the mountain. We are called to behold his glory. We are called to experience his presence. We are called to contend for his presence. We are called to value his presence over every other relationship, every other thing. We are to value him first. I'm going I'm to ask the worship team to come. A few weeks ago I preached on calling and it was City Church uh, I, after God's heart calling and it was about and at the end of it I talked about this church I talked about the calling of this church and why this church exists and I I I told you that Sunday the dream I'd had the night before and the dream was this I'm on this bus and I know for some reason I know the bus is City Church And there's somebody in front. And I'm like, who who are you? I don't know this person. But here they are on the city church bus. I said, who are you? And here's what he said to me. Here's all he said. It's my time to shine. And I woke up. And here's what I knew. Even though... He was recent to City Church. He had been carrying this vision of the glory of God for a long time. This is his vision. This is what he's about. That God would come and do something that only God could do. And it is my time to shine. I knew right away where that came from. Isaiah 60, 1 and 2. Arise and shine, for your light has come. Deep darkness is on the people, but the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And he's personalizing. It's my time. And so whether this is your first time at City Church whether you were here when we marched over from Mad City dragging that cross with us 10 years ago, or whether you joined a year ago or six months ago, the question is, is, is this your vision? Have you been carrying this vision, a vision that's something more than man running something, something more than professional, something more than polished, something that only God could do in our time and in our day because listen it's your time to shine could we stand to our feet Whether, whether you're in this building or online would you just close your eyes and open your arms like this right now this is the very word of God to you rise and shine. For your light has come. Deep darkness is on the people. Deep darkness is even in you. Deep darkness is around you. But that's not the best version of you. Because the glory of the Lord is rising upon you if you'll just look up if you just make your identity in my glory, in my grace, in my beauty, in my light, instead of in your darkness. I will teach you how to live carrying the glory of God. So Father, teach us how to live looking up. Teach us how to live in this identity that Jesus came to give us as the beloved sons and daughters of God, favored not because of how great they are, but because of how great Jesus is. Help us, God. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Woo!